Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Elhamdülillah. Vessalatu vesselamu ala Resulillah ve ala alihi ve sahbihi ve men vela. Esselamu aleyküm ve rahmetullahi ve barakatuhu. First of all I, I am honored to have some new guests and, and especially Sidi Sheikh. It's really a great honor to have you here. And also this is our first session in Knowledge Village having moved from our previous location. And inshallah, uh, further sessions will be from this location. I think some people have found difficulty maybe arriving um, because of the address and so on. I think we need to improve on that, inshallah. But uh, we shall start, inshallah. Uh, we continue today the reading of the Mathnaw al Arabi Nuri, which is the, a, a great work by Ustad Badi' Zaman uh, Saeed al Nursi. And as we said last time, it is kind of the incubator or the uh, uh, preliminary seeds of the trees that grew into Rasail uh, al-Nur or the letters of, uh, of light or uh, letters of Nur. And we continue the, the reading. We are reading in the old uh, madrasa style of uh, line by line, you know, word by word and doing the best we can as we, uh, as we go forward. And uh, I will just, uh, by way of review, uh, touch upon the main topics we discussed and then continue, inshallah, with the reading. Uh, we said that the introduction of the author begins with a reflection on uh, Saeed al-Qadim, uh, the old Saeed, and uh, what he was doing uh, 50 years uh, before the writing of these letters, um, and the struggle he had between the uh, intellectual sciences and the, the religious sciences and the, and the movements of the heart, and then how uh, Saeed al-Jadid, or the new Saeed, was transformed uh, through a, a very special experience of dedication to the Qur'an whereby the Qur'an became his sole uh, teacher. And um, uh, as, as uh, he quotes uh, Ustad Ahmed uh, Sirhindi Mujaddidi when he says, Wahid al-Qibla, make your Qibla one, your direction, unify your direction. And he focused on the Qur'an and considered the Qur'an to be his sole teacher. Of course, as we mentioned before, to say that the Qur'an is the sole teacher does not mean that he is dismissing the Sunnah in any way. Some people have understood this, and this is a mistaken understanding. What he, what he really means is that you, when you dedicate yourself to the Qur'an and take the Qur'an as a teacher, the Qur'an itself leads you to the Sunnah, because the Qur'an itself asks you to um, uh, obey Sayyidina Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So anybody who says that he is truly Qur'anic uh, necessarily is uh, truly Sunni in, in uh, following the Sunnah of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam because as you go to the Qur'an, the Qur'an directs you to Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So it is really a, a, uh, very much an Ahl Sunnah and Jama'a direction of uh, basing one's teaching on the Qur'an and the Sunnah um, in, a, in a way that is uh, continuous with the, with the tradition. And we mentioned some personalities that are very important for the Ustad, and he keeps mentioning them, mentioning them in his works. Uh, he mentions, for example, Imam al-Ghazali, rahmatullahi alayhi. He mentions Imam Rabbani, that is Ahmad Sirhindi Mujadidi, uh, rahmatullahi alayhi. And he men mentions Jalal al-Din al-Rumi, uh, rahmatullahi alayhi. And it is very uh, interesting, the, the choices of names that he sees as, as grand names in the tradition. Uh, he's very much in the... Uh, combined tradition of the Baghdadi school of uh, spirituality and teaching of Junaid al-Baghdadi as represented by Imam al-Ghazali um, and also the Khurasani school of spirituality which is represented by uh, Imam Rabbani and, and also 
Sheikh Jalal Din Rumi, rahmatullahi alayhi. And, and what he sees as distinctive about these uh, great teachers is this combination of qalb uh, and aql. And we had mentioned earlier that um, for Ustad, like uh, as in the case for uh, Imam Ghazali and Imam Muhasibi and the grand masters of the tradition, uh, aql is really an activity of the heart. And uh, it is actually the name of the activity of, of the heart. Uh, and then So it is as if the faculty of understanding is the heart and the activity of understanding is aql. Okay? So uh, what often happens in, in Arabic is sometimes the name of a, of a verb, of an activity, actually becomes a, a name uh, for, and, and people mistake it to be a thing. So aql is not a thing. Aql is, is an activity. It's the activity which can be a good activity if the heart is pure and it can be a bad activity if the heart is impure. And it's very important to uh, note that in Islam there is no distinction between the spiritual life and the intellectual life. As you grow in the spiritual life and your heart is purified, your intellection of the truth and of the realities that are around you uh, becomes more and more uh, apparent. As a matter of fact, the seeing of the signs of Allah Azzawajal, and when we say seeing, we do not mean looking only but truly seeing the ayat of Allah Azzawajal as indicators of their creator depends on having the spirit of heart so that there is an intellection, there is a reception of the operativity of the ayat. And we read the, the uh, verse of uh, poetry that he uh, quotes uh, Sheikh Nursi, In everything there is an ayah that indicates that he, that he is one. And we had talked about how this oneness is a oneness, oneness in creativity, not a oneness of the creation with the creator, because that is uh, a, a doctrine that is not uh, according to the aqidah of al-sunnah jama'ah. There is always a distinction between the cre creator and the created. And when we see the oneness, we see the oneness of the creation, the activity of creation, and from that we, we, it, it, it points to the, to the oneness of the creator. And uh, we had talked about that, uh, and no need to repeat what we had said before, and it's, it is available on YouTube so that you can, you can uh, see what we have said about that. And then he talked about um, his siyaha, his, his, uh, his uh, journey, if you like, and his suluk, his uh, following of the path in the various maqamat. And uh, he talks about how he struggled, and as he was struggling, he was recording his struggles, and he was recording how he got out of each issue, so that eventually, as he puts it in uh, in uh, in the uh, in the Matna al Arabi Nuri, he says, "Inna al munadara jariya sa'idain." That dialectic, or that discussion, which was happening between the two Saeeds, the old Saeed and the new Saeed, Saeed al Qadim wa Jadid, as he puts it, "Kana dafi' al shaytan qahira al nafs." It was a struggle that was pushing away shaitan or the devil and conquering the nafs or the ego. Until the Rasail Nur became until Rasail Nur became a very clever uh, physician or, or doctor for those or surgeon for those who have injuries from amongst the seekers of the truth. وَأَصْبَحَتْ مُلْزِمَةُ وَمُسْكِتَ لِأَهْلِ الْإِلْحَادِ وَالضَّلَالَةِ 
and it became a silencer to those of atheism and misguidance. The, the uh, point he makes here is very important. As I was saying uh, in one of the previous sessions, Rasail al-Nur is, is not for uh, healthy times and is not for healthy people. It is for um, uh, times of illness and, and uh, ailment and also for uh, uh, people with ailments and illness. One of the most important ways um, towards getting a cure is to recognize that you are ill. Because if, and this happens, often happens in life, you keep telling somebody to go to the doctor and they don't want to go to the doctor. They don't even recognize that they need help. And, and that is the worst kind of disaster because the person may even get very sick and die without recognizing that they are ill. What Badi'a Zaman Nursi did in his time was to recognize during that very critical point of the, of the collapse of the Ottoman uh, Khilafat, uh, he, he recognized that there was much that was not right with the Muslim Ummah and that there was um, a lot of not only pain and anguish but that this pain and anguish was actually um, rooted in a lot of ailments that we had. And he did not see this as judgmental um, kind of uh, taking of position in a judgmental way upon others, but he, he saw it in himself. He actually he did a lot of self-inspection, introspection, and he saw many ailments. And what he says is that as he had these ailments and began to find the cure for these ailments in the Quran, he would put a tag on each cure that he found so that others can benefit from it. So that the Rasail al-Nur or the letters of, of light or, or Nur become like a pharmacy of medicines and, and become like a, a, a clever doctor who's able to address ailments. These ailments which are encouraged and, and are actually propagated by atheists and by people of misguidance. So he says, فَتَبَيَّنَ أَنَّ هَذَا الْمَثْنَوِ الْعَرَبِي And so it, it is now clear that this Mathnawi al-Arabi, this book that we are reading, كَانَ نَوَاتًا لِرَسَائِلِ النُّورِ became a seed for the Rasail of, of Nur or, or the letters of, of light. وَغَرْسًا لَهَا And, and, the, and the, the first things you plant, the small plants that you, 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 you plant. يُخَلِّصُ النَّاسِ مِنْ شُبُهَاتِ الشَّيَاطِينِ مِنَ الْإِنسِ وَالْجِنِ it is, way, it is a way to, to save people from the um, shubuhat. And shubuhat are like delusions. Uh, delusions of shayateen, okay? Which devils? Min al-insi wal-jinn. Both ins and jinn uh, shayateen. The, uh, the, the, the notion of shubuhat is very, very important. You know, many people, if, uh, most people, if they see falsity clearly, they will not follow it. You know? The problem is when falsity is mixed with the truth, so that you don't, you know, the, the, the truthful part of, of it seduces you into accepting it, pulls you into accepting it, while the false part of it leads you, to, uh, leads you astray and leads you to disaster. So these shubuhat, which come from both ins and jinn shayateen, are very difficult to get rid of. What you need is discernment. And as we know, discernment or the telling of truth from falsity what is called tamiz in Arabic, to, to actually recognize what is true from what is false, can happen only if you have a criterion, as they say in philosophy. Criterion uh, is, is a Greek word originally, and what it means in, in Arabic is the furqan. Okay? 
It is that which separates this from that. Okay? And as uh, uh, Sheikh says, this discernment has to be Quranically based because human beings cannot uh, guide themselves. They need guidance from Allah Azza And this guidance is sent to them through prophecy and especially through the ultimate prophet Sayyidina Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And this prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam brought the ultimate criterion for distinguishing bad from good, from distinguishing falsity from truth. And what is most important is not simply to read the book, but to internalize this criterion so that your very judgment becomes Quranic. In many ways, what Imam uh, uh, Nursi is trying to do, Rahmatullahi Alayhi, is to actually recapture the notion of the, of the Quranic man or the Quranic person. Okay? Uh, when Sayyidah Aisha radiallahu anha uh, the wife of uh, Prophet Muhammad sallallahu was asked, how was the character of Rasulullah sallallahu She said that his character was the Quran. It's a very significant utterance because it means that the Prophet in a way embodied the Quran, was, was characterized by the Quran. So his very character became Quranic. In many ways, what Ustad uh, Saeed Nursi is trying to, to, to do is to recapture this way of being a Quranic person, to be a homo Quranicus, as we can, instead of just homo sapiens, to be a, a, a Quranic person. How do you become a Quranic person? By receiving this, this Quran, not as just mere utterances or sentences, but as operative uh, signs, divine signs that actually transform you, that actually change you, that can actually conduct surgical operations upon your heart, that can actually reshape the heart, that can actually revive the very character of the human being. As it says in one of the hadith, and there is a great book that collects these hadith regarding the Quran, which is called Adab Hamalat al Quran by Imam Nawawi. There is one hadith there that says that the uh, uh, heart that has no Quran in it is like a ruined house. You, need, you know, today we were visiting a, a house that was not uh, lived in for about two months. And already you can see the dust, already you see the signs of. You know, it's amazing, like how a house lives through its inhabitants. You know, just, uh, you know, you go for a week, you're traveling, you come back, and there is a, a kind of a strange, eerie feeling in the, in the house. It doesn't feel right until you inhabit it, until you live in it, until you breathe in it, until you, you eat and, 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 you, and you, the, the sound of the children and so on. And the house become, becomes a home. It becomes a household. Similarly, the heart without the Qur'an, is like a, an abandoned house. It, it kind of crumbles. You need the, the, the re, uh, revival of, of the heart or, or the vivification or the enlivening of the heart happens through the Qur'an. And this is something which is not new. Like this is not something that uh, uh, Shaykh Nursi invents, rahmatullah alayhi. It's actually in the hadith. Al, 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 uh, and, and the heart that is actually filled with the Qur'an becomes a, a not only transformed through the divine signs, but itself becomes a sign. As it says in the hadith, Hamilu al-Quran, Hamilu rayat al-Islam. The bearer of the Quran is the bearer of the flag of Islam. So he becomes himself 
a, a, a sign. And that is why the, the Hafiz or, or, or the Hafiz or the Qurra uh, early, from the early days of, of, uh, of Sahaba, they were the, the, like the lanterns carrying the light of the Ummah. And they are very, very important. And when we say Hafiz, we don't mean just memorizer. Because otherwise, even the cassette recorders would be great Hafiz. Or the MP3 now would be a great Hafiz. What we mean by Hafiz is someone who internalizes the Quran. Not only at the level of memory, but at the level of, uh, at the level of transformed character. And what uh, Ustad Badi'i Zaman Nursi tries to do in the, in the Rasail uh, uh, Noor, and which actually stem from and grow out of the Mathna um, al-Arabi Nuri is to put us again in touch with this kind of Quranic existence. To put us again in touch in, in, in this mode of uh, being in, in healing through the Quran. Because the Quran is shifa. Okay? How can it be shifa? It can be shifa if we receive it. I don't know if you have, uh, I mean, if you've taken your child to, to get an injection from a doctor, you can see that sometimes the receiving of healing is not very well accepted. And as children who sometimes do not understand that they have to sustain uh, uh, and, and actually have the discipline of, of going through uh, rigorous study to be able to receive the healing, sometimes we act as foolishly as a child who refuses to take the medicine, who refuses to take the injection. What Badi'u Zaman Nursi rahmatullahi alayhi in many ways in the Rasail Arabi Nuri, uh, sorry, in the Rasail Nur and the Mathnam al Arabi Nuri is trying to do is to actually almost, I wouldn't say trick us into accepting the healing, but kind of lead us into accepting the healing. For modern minds that have been maybe too uh, convoluted and maybe even uh, too polluted with self uh, possessed and, and egotistically centered knowledge. He is trying to make us accepting again. So if there is something that actually the Rasail al-Nur teach, it is a kind of poverty of heart, iftiqar, to sense the faqr in your heart. As Ibn Atallah Sakandari rahmatullahi says in his prayer, in his munajat, Ilahi, ana al-faqiru fi ghinaya, fa la akunu faqiran fi faqri? I am poor in my very richness. How can I not be poor in my very poverty? Okay? So it's very important. This notion that you, of, of poverty, that you're feeling this iftiqar, this brokenness, the, to actually feel that you need healing. Most of us run around feeling that we don't need the healing, and, and as a matter of we don't take the medicine. As a matter of fact, we pass by the, the, the shelf with the medicine on it, and we don't take the medicine. And that's, as, as, as we do that in sometimes uh, physically, and it's quite foolish to forget to take your medicine. But we do it also, unfortunately, at times every day with the Mus'haf sitting on our shelf, and we don't even read a page of the Qur'an. We don't reflect upon even a single ayah. Um, incredibly, sometimes even in Salat, you know, in our very prayer, sometimes I find myself finishing the whole prayer, not even remembering or reflecting upon what it is that I recited. This is very, very bad. It's deadening to the heart because it means that the heart is not receiving the medicine that it is supposed to, to, to receive. So, Ustad Badi' Zaman Nursi says, فَتَبَيَّنَ أَنَّ هَذَا الْمَثْنَ وَالْعَرَبِ النُّورِ كَانَ نَوَاتٌ لِرَسَائِلِ النُّورِ It became a, a, a seed for the Rasail al-Nur. وَغَرْسًا لَهَا 
كان هو نواة سوري كان نواة لرسائل النور وغرسا لها يخلص الناس من شبهات الشياطين من الإلس والجن ولا يخفى أن تلك المعلومات في حكم المشهودات وأن يقين العلم كعين اليقين and it is this is a very subtle sentence it is it cannot be hidden ولا يخفى أن تلك المعلومات that those things that are knowable or those knowabilia okay those things that I, I come to know في حكم المشهودات they are like things witnessed okay وأن يقين العلم and the and the certitude of knowledge كعين اليقين it's as if you have certitude itself what does he mean by this the sheikh saying that the kind of knowledge that you get from the kind of seeing you develop through quranic upbringing in your heart actually becomes a kind of witnessing a kind of direct witnessing you know the in the ancients in the hellenistic times there was a man called sextus empiricus and uh, the reason he was called empiricus is empiricus was a doctor a physician okay and that's why from where the word empirical comes from it was why it was called empirical because it was based on direct sensing seeing witnessing okay and often times we say that in the modern world we're scientific why are we scientific because we are empirical we judge by direct experience okay what he's trying to say is that if you have this kind of quranic knowledge if you have this kind of quranic seeing you actually gain empirical knowledge of the truth direct knowledge of the light and that is what he is seeking so that your iman does not become a, a uh, or your faith does not become a mere repetition of sentences but an actual witnessing of realities okay and it is uh, one of the sahaba radhiyallahu alayhim uh, was was uh, telling rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam that that he that he feels um, uh, that he has iman and the rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam asked him what is the verification of this what is the validation of this and he says i i now see as if i am going to the jannah and i can see as if people are suffering in nar so his faith becomes a kind of seeing the sahabi you know this companion and and uh, and rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam says to him arifta falzam now you know keep to this stick with this do not lose this because that is true faith faith that becomes so vivid it becomes a direct witnessing of things okay so the shaykh says rahmatullah alayhi wa la yakhfa anna tilka al-ma'lumat when these knowabilia these things i know become fi hukm al-mashhudat they become as if they are mashhudat witnessed from shuhud okay to 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 directly experience something they are they become experiential wa anna yaqin al-ilm when you have that certitude of knowledge ka'ayn al-yaqin it becomes certitude itself which means this is a, a very tricky uh, phrase it means that you are so certain of your knowledge okay your knowledge becomes itself certitude okay yani certitude becomes not just a coloring of your knowledge or a description of your knowledge or an adjective linked with your knowledge but that your knowledge itself becomes your very certitude 
Why? Because it is knowledge that you directly experience. In modern philosophy, there is a movement which is called phenomenology, which was founded by uh, Edmund Husserl through uh, the teaching of his teacher, Franz Brintano. In many ways, Ustad Badi'i Zaman Nursi is teaching Islamic phenomenology. Okay? It is like a, 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 an Islamic uh, uh, art of seeing. Okay? Because in phenomenology, in Western phenomenology, the point is to see the essences, is to, is to see the things themselves. As Edmund Husserl says, to go to the things themselves. Okay? This is the, the motto of, of this movement. And the reason there is a similarity between phenomenology and what Ustad Badi'i Zaman Nursi is doing is because the teacher of Edmund Husserl, Franz Brentano, was trained in, in uh, scholastic modes of seeing okay, that come from the tradition of Bonaventura and Agostinos that are very similar to the tradition from which Ustad comes from, but from a Muslim perspective. So basically what you've got in the, in the Matnaw al-Arabi Nuri and the Rasail al-Nur is a phenomenological reflection. However, where is the difference between Islamic phenomenology and this Western phenomenology? The difference is in what it is that you are seeing, what it is that you are, see, what you, what it is that you are witnessing. For Husserl, it is pure essences, okay? The, the mahiyat in Arabic, we would say. What is an essence? An essence is basically, to put it in Aristotle's terms, what makes a thing itself. As the Arabs would, would say in medieval times, مَا بِهِ هُوَ هُوَ That with which the thing is itself. Okay? That is the essence. And they are very abstract for the philosophers. But for Badi'i Zaman Nursi, what is being seen is not mere essences that are abstract points or things that are actually pure ideas. What he sees are ayat. Thus, the phenomenology of Badi'u Zaman al-Nursi is actually an ayatology, to use, a, to use a, a kind of a convoluted term. It is a science of seeing the ayat. And not merely seeing the ayat, but a science of humbly receiving the ayat so that you are transformed by them and through them so that your very character becomes, okay, enlightened, your very character becomes guided and is ignited such that you yourself become a light for others. By internalizing the ayat, you yourself become an ayah. And that is why, that is why the walaya, okay, the walaya in the, in the tradition of, of the Ahl Sunnah or Jama'ah is seen as a kind of becoming an ayah. As a matter of fact, as uh, Ustad ibn Atallah Sakandari says in Lata'if al-Minan, when he's talking about Ustad Abu al-Abbas al-Mursi, the great saint of, of Alexandria, who's buried in Alexandria, he says that when talking about the verses of the Quran where it says, that uh, whenever uh, uh, one ayah uh, is taken away, Allah replaces it with another ayah, one of the meanings for this verse is the awliya. That as a set of awliya are obliterated through death or through uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, historical uh, factors, a new, new awliya come about. 
And this continuation of walaya is basically the continuation of the reflection of the anwar or the lights of nubuwa of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Thus, every wali is indebted for his light to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And through this great procession of great awliya, the nubuwa of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam continues uninterrupted. Yes, he has uh, uh, been taken uh, from amongst us, but his lights have not been taken from amongst us because his lights live on not only in his written teachings, but in the very character of the great people, the good people of this ummah. Okay? So the goodness in this ummah is only a reflection and a, and a, and a manifestation of the, of, the, of the goodness of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa Thus the, the ayatology of Nursi okay, is unlike the phenomenology. It is not a mere intellection of essences, but an actual characterization, a complete transformation of character okay, that happens through the receiving of the transformative signs of Allah Azza wa which are called ayat. So that as you see the bird flying, it is not merely I look at the bird and just passes through, but that the divine creativity and the greatness and, and intricacy and the beauty and the sublimeness of Allah's creativity actually transforms the heart of the seer. So that the jamal that you see actually beautifies your very character, beautifies your very heart. This is a very refined and high form of seeing. It's not a mere watching things go by. It's actually opening your heart to be transformed. And this happens with a whole set of ayat, different types of ayat. It is not only written ayat. Sure, when you are reciting the Quran, you are being transformed through written ayat. But when you're looking at the birds, when you're looking at the birds, you're being transformed through these physical ayat that you see. But also, there are ayat within you. Even your thoughts are ayat. The fact that I speak now, and the air is vibrating, and it's hitting your eardrums, and that it's actually making sense to you, this very act of understanding is an amazing ayah. How does this happen? How does this, the ideas of a man who's been buried for a long time now, being read by a man who's sitting in this chair, vibrating things in the air so that it hits your ears and, and, and the ideas that are being studied here are being transferred, not only transferred, transferred but sometimes when they're well conveyed, may, may actually affect you and transform you and change you. Okay? How does this happen? This kind of activity within the human being, in the act of understanding, and even emotions of love, emotions of care, emotions of compassion, these very emotions that are themselves signs. So the human being can actually live an entire life of reflection, of understanding, of being receptive to the signification that Allah Azza wa Jal is giving us continuously. I mean, you're either thinking or walking or drinking 
or eating, whatever it is that you're doing, it is possible to do that very same activity reflectively with what is called by the mashayikh hudur, presence. That is incredibly important. You know, people think that the hadra of the Sufis is basically just a kind of gathering with some, some singing of, of songs or, or anashid. The hadra is from hudur, from presence. Okay? It is actually from being present to the things you do. And not only this, of letting things be present to you. And not only this, but letting these things not be present in themselves, but present in indicating the very creator of presence himself, so that your very life becomes a continuous dhikr, remembrance of him who created you. And that is the, the best, most happy life. That is the ultimate richness. That is what the fuqara, the poor saints that were roaming the land trying to remember their, their Lord, that is the richness they reach. As Sayyidi Abu Madian says, مَا لَذَّةُ الْعَيْشِ إِلَّا صُحْبَةِ الْفُقَرَى هُمُ الصَّلَاطِينُ وَالسَّادَاتُ وَالْأُمَرَى Nothing in life is more pleasurable than the company of the poor ones. They are the true sultans, the true uh, salatino, uh, the, the true masters, sadat, okay, and the true princes, umara. That they achieve a kind of kingship that no king can have. A kind of kingship that cannot be taken away from you by a coup d'etat or a revolution or anything like this. A kind of sovereignty that is beyond worldly sovereignty. Why is it beyond worldly sovereignty? Because it is a kind of sovereignty that is based on servanthood, that is based on poverty. It is not based on aggrandizement. Worldly sovereignty is based on aggrandizing, on pushing, on, on, on exerting power. This is the power of the powerless. This is the force of the forceless. This is the richness of the poor. This is the... the, the, the Knowledge that comes from utterly sensing your deep, deep ignorance. The admission of your jahl. That is the key to knowledge. The admission of your poverty. That is the key to richness. The admission of your weakness, your brokenness. That is the key to being healed and transformed. Saeed al-Jadid, the new Saeed, is a transformed man. <coughs> but he is not a powerful man. He is a man who invokes the very power of Allah Azza You know, we often say, لا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله. So if a taxi driver bothers us, we say, لا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله. So that we, we make the, the sentence, <coughs> can I get some water? We make the sentence devoid of meaning by repeating it in such a silly way in many ways. But when you consider la hawla wa la quwwata illa billah, and this is actually done in, in some of the rasail al-nur, and you reflect upon it, la hawla wa la quwwata illa billah. There is no capacity, there is no power. Illa, and the illa is very important. The illa is actually taking you from one domain to another. 
لا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله with Allah عز وجل now there is capacity there is power but notice when you when you're doing the negation you're coming out of worldly capacity and out of worldly power and now you're entering the domain of divine capacity divine power the illa is very important it is also in the shahada la ilaha illallah now if you stop just at the la ilaha that is pure negation okay illa actually transforms you from the negation to the positing but this positing is very destructive it is destructive of anything other than allah it obliterates everything else it is an ifna an obliteration an annihilation of all that is not allah and what remains allah okay the same thing with la hawla wa la quwwata illa billah With la hawla wa la quwwata illa billah, you are actually scoffing at all capacity, destroying all capacity, destroying all power, annihilating it, okay? Making it nothing, illa billah. Now the power comes back, the capacity comes back, but it is not the same power and capacity. This one is the true power and capacity. The capacity through Allah Azza wa Jal. As Ibn Atallah Sakandari says in his great hikam or wise sayings, مَسْتَيْسَرَ أَمْرٌ أَنْتَ طَالِبُهُ بِنَفْسِكَ Nothing is easy if you try to do it through yourself, through your ego. وَمَسْتَعْسَرَ أَمْرٌ And nothing is hard. وَمَسْتَعْسَرَ أَمْرٌ أَنْتَ طَالِبُهُ بِرَبِّكَ Nothing is hard. That you seek through your Lord. Why? Because you're seeking it through la hawla wa la quwwata illa billah. That is why for the Naqshbandis, and the Shaykh benefits greatly from the from the teachings and the spirit of the Naqshbandiyya, the la hawla wa la quwwata illa billah is one of the most important adhkar, and it's part of the of the of the Khatim Khawajagan. Okay? The Khawajagan are the great teachers of Khurasan. And one of their main dhikr was la hawla wa la quwwata illa billah and it's interesting how it is said la hawla wa la quwwata illa billah when you when you when you take out you're going out with the la hawla wa la quwwata you're taking out the capacity and power then it comes back and you hit the heart with illa billah lafz jalala the ism al mufrad okay the the great name of allah azza wa jal the ism al a'zam hits the heart just as the iron smith is hitting the iron, such that you stamp the, the, the great name of Allah Azza wa Jal into the heart. That is why it is a kind of naqsh. It is naqsh. It is a carving of the heart with the dhikr. Such that the heart becomes so transformed, it becomes spontaneously by itself dhakr. Remembering of Allah Azza wa Jal. Just as when you listen to the heart, it actually says Allah, Allah, Allah. And it, it does that as you're walking and talking and, and, and uh, driving and, and even sleeping. And it becomes what the shuyukh call a dhikr al-khafi. The hidden remembrance. Of course, this is not to exclude or to in any way look down upon the dhikr jali or the the, the extrovert dhikr or the articulated dhikr 
because oftentimes it is that dhikr that actually gives you the internal one and the internal one that makes you pronounce the, so there is a dialectic between the two. But it is something that Ustad Badi' Zaman Nursi actually knows very deeply and actually says that the Mathnawi al-Arabi Nuri, this book, is the dhikr al-Khafi, while the Rasail al-Nur are the articulation of this dhikr, dhikr al-Jali. So to understand the relationship between this book and the Rasail al-Nur, you need to understand the Naqshabandi distinction between Dhikr al-Khafi and the Dhikr al-Jali. Of course, it's not only Naqshabandi, it is also Nihya Ulum Deen of Imam Ghazali, Rahmatullah Alayh, where, where he talks about the levels of Dhikr. Okay? And, and there is a great exposition of this in, in, uh, in uh, the first volume of Ihya Ulum Deen, in the Book of Knowledge, and then in the, also in the Adab al-Dhikr section. And it's very important. Also in the book of Ibn Ata'Allah Sakandi, Rahmatullah Alayh, on a dhikr al-mufrad, which actually trans- is translated into English. Um, uh, I can't remember the title, Muftah al- I think Muftah al-Falah, I can't remember the name. But he has a book on dhikr al-mufrad, and it's translated into English. Read it to see these different types of dhikr. Because the worst thing in life is to live many, many years, but to remember very, very little. Meaning to find yourself living like a plant or an animal, just eating and drinking and so on, but never really remembering your Lord, okay, the one who makes you. When the, when the whole point of existence is dhikr. Not because Allah needs us to do dhikr, it's because we need to, to do dhikr. Okay? Why do we need to do dhikr? Because it actually is the key to your very humanity. Humanity, the essence of your humanity is your ability to invoke your maker. To be, why do you need to invoke your maker? So that you become an ayah like all the other ayat. Now the other ayat, subhanAllah, they do it spontaneously. They don't even have to think about it. They just, they do, they do their ayah thing without much effort. With the human being, there are two levels. At the level of Amr al-Takwini, or the, or the constitutional divine will, you are already an ayah. Even if you reject Allah, you're still an ayah. Okay? Because you are a creature. The way you drink, the way you eat, the way you can see, you're already an ayah. But there is a higher form of being an ayah, and that is to obey al-amr al-tashri'i, to obey the, the juridical will of Allah Azza wa through obedience to him, through the following of his prophets, especially the ultimate prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sahbihi wa sallam, taslim When you follow him, what you are doing is you're transforming yourself into a living Ayah, that not only remembers, but is a reminder. You become what they call mnemonics. Mnemonics are aids to memory, okay? Things that you do to remember. Sometimes if you want to remember a telephone, for example, you split it in a, a telephone number, you split it in a particular way, or you associate it with a certain birth date. That's a mnemonic, an aid to memory. The goal of the, of the Muslim should be to become a mnemonic to others, to be a reminder of Allah Azza wa Jal. How do you become a reminder of Allah Azza wa Jal? To not only seek to remember him all the time, but to remind others of him. And reminding others of him is not through preaching, although preaching is important, but through living your Islam. You know, in, in Indonesia, there are more Muslims than there are in the Arab world combined. <laughs> and no army ever entered Indonesia. 
No army of Muslims ever entered Indonesia. How did Islam spread to these lands? It spread through these mnemonics, these people who were reminders of Allah Azza wa Jal. How were they reminding Allah of Allah Azza wa Jal? Some of them, yes, they were great Sufis and scholars who gave lectures and lessons and so on, but most of them were not. Most of them were simply merchants, people who were buying and selling. And how did they become great signs? Through very simple things like honesty. You know, today it's amazing. We find the Muslim world people with great beards and great, you know, uh, uh, Arab clothing, you know, that now people think has, is, is a requirement. And, and, uh, and Imama and Siwak, and, and uh, they say all the right things. And you make one commercial deal with them and they <laughs> cheat you, you know. When, when Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa says, Man He who cheats us is not among, uh, uh, from, from amongst us. Uh, I mean, he's outside the communion, the communi community, you know. So it's astonishing that the sunan of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa we are very selective with them, you know. Smiling is a, is a sunnah, yet we're often grim, you know, and, and it's a problem. Smiling is a sunnah. Being nice to your wife is a sunnah, okay? Being nice to your husband is also a sunnah, okay? <laughs> now, being, being, being uh, uh, walking in the street and, not, and, 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 and finding a piece of glass and removing it is a sunnah. Not parking your car in a way that blocks your neighbor's car is a sunnah. Yet these sunnah, they get forgotten, even though they're very simple. And we remember the, you know, now to say someone mutasannin, or is uh, following the sunnah often brings you images of a certain way of dressing and a certain way of wearing your beard and a certain way of carrying your suwak and a certain way of self-righteously scolding others and judging others and looking down upon others. You know, this is not exactly what, what sunnah is about. Sunnah is a complete way of life and the little things are extremely important. As a matter of fact, Rasulullah warns us that sometimes we may say certain things and do certain things that we take lightly and scoff at. And they may throw you into 70,000 miles of Jahannam or hell, wal-iyadu billah. Okay? Things like, for example, while you're driving, uh, calling the other person names and calling even their parents' names, okay? You may think it's very light, but the problem with such an act is that you don't even know the person to ask them for forgiveness. If I say to Talha something, maybe tomorrow I, I have regrets, I call him, I say, Talha, please forgive me. He will forgive me and I'll get away with it. But where are you going to find that man that you scolded at or, or, or that you swore at and, and where you said bad things about his mother? On the day of judgment, this is not an exaggeration, huh? on the day of judgment, his mother would want her rights and he would want her, his rights. And you have no way in this dunya of finding them again. I mean, it's very unlikely that you will find the, the person you, 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 you shouted at or you, you injured. And there are even other more subtle things like having in your heart a feeling of condescension towards someone, what is called ihtiqar in Arabic. People, you know, oftentimes forget that this is called the ultimate crime by Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. In a famous hadith, he says, بِحَسْبِ الْمَرْءِ مِنَ الشَّرْ 
أن يحقر أخاه المسلم. It is sufficient evil for you to scoff at, to have condescension at towards your brother. يعني look at this. This is very very important. How many nights do I do I do I sleep having scoffed at people and having looked down upon others? You know. And how will I find them? And how will I ask them for forgiveness when oftentimes we don't feel that we've even committed a crime? You know, if I hit Talha, la samahallah, it's very easy to recognize that I've done something wrong. It's actually quite, you know, obvious. And I will, it's very likely that I will ask Talha for forgiveness because my injury to him is very obvious. But if I scoff at Talha, if I look down upon him, I can go my whole life not knowing that I've committed such a grave crime. When Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, it is sufficient evil for you to do this. Yani this is ultimate evil. That's very, that's very big. And then he says in the same hadith, كُلِّ muslim عَلَى الْمُسْلِمْ حَرَامٌ دَمُهُ وَمَالُهُ وَعِرْضُهُ Okay? Now, it's oftentimes we're fairly good human beings. We know that stealing somebody else's money is bad, so we, don't, we often don't do it. عِرْضُهُ also, we are often good with that. Okay? And, and um, uh, sorry, damuhu, uh, uh, of course, you know, we, we, would, we would not murder people. We would not steal. But irduhu, the more obvious meaning of ird or honor, yes, okay, people avoid that. But part of ird is someone's reputation. That is actually in Arabic, ird also means someone's reputation. How many times did I touch somebody's reputation by saying his name in a funny way? Or not even calling him names, but just, you know, smiling as his name passes by. You've injured somebody's ird when you do that. That is actually a crime. And that is something that Rasulullah sallallahu saw so as sufficiently important as to make it crucial to your iman. To actually deny you iman if you are into injuring people's ird and mal and, and, uh, and, and, and life. And yet, in the name of Islam itself, how many people get killed? In the name of Islam itself, how many people call each other's names? There are entire movements today that specialize into dishonoring shiuch. There are, you go to the uh, Google and check with YouTube, you see how many videos there are to call that sheikh names and to call that sheikh names and to call that sheikh names. It's amazing. There is an abundance, especially in the Arab world. Alhamdulillah, I don't think you suffer from it in Turkey much or in some of the other countries like Malaysia and Indonesia. I don't think it's... But in the Arabic video, videos, it's amazing. There are movements. I don't want to mention these movements by name, but there are movements that are based on cataloging shiuch and passing judgment upon them, you know? And it's amazing how the daring, you know. Some of these movements, if you call one of their scholars of contemporary times something or criticize him in even a small way, they get very angry. But they will be happy to sit down and pass judgment on Imam Ghazali, Rahmatullah or Imam Subki, Imam Al-Ash'ari, without any hesitation. Imagine what will happen on the Day of Judgment when a procession of these great a'imma, many of them were great lawyers and the, they can argue in court. And you have somebody like Imam al-Baqillani, who was famous for disputation, on the Day of Judgment, and you have to explain yourself in front of the whole the world, the whole Ummah, 
is watching and Imam Bakilani is debating with you. Okay, what did I do to you? To tell me that I am outside Ahl Sunnah wa Jama'ah. When I am an Imam of the Ahl Sunnah wa Jama'ah, explain to me how did you figure this out? And you tell him, oh, I listened to some cassettes or some uh, um, sheikh from a particular country called you names, so I'm now calling you names. We take these things lightly, but they are very, very serious. And we do it to our neighbors, we do it to our friends, we do it to our countrymen, we do it to our, and it, it's very, very serious stuff. And people talk about, you know, revival of Islam and Islamic movements and so on, unless we focus on these little things, these forgotten sunan, you know, and, 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 and try to retrieve them, we will be at a great loss. Why is uh, Shaykh Nursi important for us. Shaykh Nursi is important because he's a master in reminding us of these little things. He has a small letter on, on what to say to the sick when you visit them. You know, he has a little thing to when what to say to the person in pain. He has a, a certain letter what to say to the mother who's lost a child. He has a little letter on what to say to your wife, what to say to your son, what. And, and, and it's a catalog of how to live a wholesome and, and, and good life. Not with anything big, not with anything theologically complicated, but very simple things that if you sit down every week and just do a little bit of reading, you will manage to get a whole pharmacy of, of medicines for the ailments of this time. And you will, be, you will be able through this kind of reading and reflection to get the kind of knowledge that he's talking about, a kind of witnessing, shuhud. So that as he puts it, al-ma'lumat, that which you know, become fi hukm al-mashhudat, become like that which you witness. Wa'anna yaqeen al-ilm, and your certitude of knowing becomes ka'ayn al-yaqeen, like certitude itself. That, in such a way, happens that it, it actually yurithu al-qana'ah, it, it makes you an inheritor of qana'a, of being, qana'a is a beautiful word. It's not only being convinced, but being content, being content. It gives you a kind of convincing contentment, okay? So that you get a kind of itmi'nan. Tama'nina is like a, 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 a feeling of tranquility, of um, joy in, 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 in quietness, in, in a kind of uh, gentleness, something like sakina, okay? That which descends upon you when you are doing dhikr. A, a total comfort, a total tranquility, a total peace. How do you get all this? Through this reflection on the ayat, which is taught in the Mathnawil Arabi Nuri and in the Rasail Nur. I think I've talked for far too long. أقول قولي هذا واستغفر الله لي ولكم ولكافة المسلمين ولا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله العلي العظيم. Forgive me if I've taken too long, and I and thank you very much for your attendance. الحمد لله الحمد لله. But because you said that, Sidi Sheikh, I ask for your dua, and I ask the camera to go to Sidi Sheikh for for a dua, which will inshallah will be uploaded, so it will be heard by millions inshallah. الحمد لله رب العالمين. والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا محمد سيد المرسلين وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين. We thank Allah Taala for this wonderful occasion. We listened to wonderful speech, very meaningful, inspiring, 
my loved brother here, and for the wonderful gathering we have witnessed here. And we are also happy to have, I have, I'm happy particularly to have my son, to have my wife. We are witnessing the same thing. Alhamdulillah, to make us understand our blessings, the blessings we receive from Allah Ta'ala. And the greatest blessing, of course, is Islam, understanding Islam. And the greatest blessing is the Quran al-Kareem, understanding the Quran, feeling the Quran, and living the Quran. May Allah Ta'ala make us all good Muslims, meaning Muslims, feeling Muslims, sharing Muslims, seeing Allah Ta'ala wherever we look. Amin, amin, wa salamun al-mursaleen, walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Amin.